Welcome to the New City Fellowship West End Sermon Podcast. We hope and pray this message equips, empowers, and encourages you. And now, today's sermon. And I'd invite you to grab your bulletin or your Bible, whether that's on an app or if you have a physical Bible here. We're going to be looking at James 1. And it says two through eight, but we're just going to get through two through four. So just three verses today. We're going to keep things simple. And if you've been with us, you know that we've been walking through a series on our core values. And I just love what Book said about our core values this series uh, a few weeks ago. He said our core values not only show us who we are, but it describes where we're going. It doesn't just root us in our identity and and what we uh, uh, long to be as believers in Jesus, but it also points us in the direction that that we are called to. And today we come to trials. And Pastor Gentry uh, mentioned that this is not always the one that we want to come to, but it is just the reality of how God is at work. Trials are God's method for building our faith. So if you're there... I want you to follow along as I read James 1, 2, 3, and 4. God's good word says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet various, excuse me, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let the steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Let's open our time together in prayer. Merciful Father, we quiet our hearts before you. We come anticipating to hear from your word. We know that your word is a lamp unto our feet, that it guides our path. And we know that your word is the only thing that will last the test of time that your word testifies about itself, that the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And so we ask that you would teach us, that you would guide us by your spirit and the power of your word, Lord Jesus, that we don't know where to go without your truth. And so we come with humility, we come with quiet hearts and attentive minds, and we ask that you would meet us here in this place and the people of God join together in saying, amen. Well, if, if you've been part of this congregation for some time, uh, then you know that there was a season, there was a, a period when every illustration, every sermon that I would bring would have an illustration about dog training. Uh, are there any dog people in the room? All right, you all are going to be blessed, and everybody else is not going to be blessed, no, um, Uh, I'd been pretty intentional to stay away from the dog stuff for probably like the last six months, maybe eight months. My wife, you know, she's my best critic. She helps me uh, get these sermons right. And she was like, enough with the dogs already. Uh, But on today, we are going to learn from God's word, but I'm going to illustrate things throughout in the best way that I know how, and that is through dog training. I love to train dogs. Have you seen a dog walk that works out perfect, a really good dog walk? Have you seen anything like that before? Okay, one person, Miss Stephanie saw that. A lot of times you'll see bad dog walks, right? Where the dog's pulling somebody this way or that way and they're kind of holding on for dear life. 
um, but every now and then you'll get to see a really nice dog walk where the dog is right at the person's side, kind of trotting along and staying with the handler, with the leader. And, and you can go ahead and play this video. Uh, I want to show you a dog walk. And for those who are listening online or after the fact, the video is showing your boy, is showing me with uh, my Doberman, Weston. He's a red and rust Doberman, and it's showing from my porch. Oh, no, is it still there? Okay, it uh, clipped out here. And he's walking right at my side. It's hard to see, but he doesn't have a leash on. And when I stop, he stops. And when I turn, he turns. And in a bit, I'll put him in a place or I'll, I'll put him in a sit and uh, he'll stay right beside me as we walk back and forth on the sidewalk. And you can keep that going, but uh, I just want to present to you a question as you watch this perfect dog walk. <laughs> who should be celebrated? Who, who should be celebrated in the dog walk? The dog or the handler? Jesus, amen. <laughs> This brother's looking ahead. He, he looked at my notes. Jesus, that's right. Uh, I posed that question to my, my daughters. I said, baby, uh, uh, girls, which, who should be praised, who should be celebrated with the dog walk? And one of my girls said, oh, uh, Weston. Weston's such a good boy, Daddy. Weston should be celebrated. I said, yeah, 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 that's right. And there's my neighbor. Shout out to my neighbor. And then, uh, and then another one of my daughters said, no, Daddy, you put in the work. You walked with him. You should be celebrated that he can walk off leash and walk beside you. You're the one that should be celebrated. And the truth is, the answer is, is both. Like any good dog handler, you can, yep, stop it there. Any good dog handler, any good dog trainer will tell you that different dogs have different degrees of obedience. They have different drive. They have different <laughs> levels of wanting to please the person that's training him, and, and that's just true. That's just the reality that a dog that can obey should be celebrated. But it's also true that those same handlers, those same dog trainers would tell you that there are things that you can do to any dog, even a dog with low drive, even a dog that doesn't want to please, even a dog that's kind of lazy, there are things that they can do to help them on their way to follow directions and walk well. You see, I'd, I'd longed to have a dog that could walk beside me and heal and walk really well. And, and, and I'm just going to keep on tooting my own horn real quick. Um, I can get Weston from, we live in Academy, just a, a little bit east of here. I can get him to Forest Park and back on an off-leash walk in a heel. I longed to have a dog that was the complete package. I wanted him to be fully complete, able to handle any circumstance, able to hand, handle every situation. And while Weston, my, my current dog, my Doberman, he can hold it down, in the past, I have not been able to achieve the same success with other dogs. You know, I, I would say about my other dogs, he's really good except this, this, or this. He's really good except if there's a loud bang. He's really good except when people come over and then he cuts up. He's really good except this thing or that thing. And I hadn't been able to achieve the same success with other dogs, and the reason why I've achieved so much more success with Weston than previous dogs is because I was unwilling to put in the work that would make him complete. I was unwilling to put in the hard task of working him out, working through things in order to make him complete. But thanks be to God, 
That as we consider a God who would walk with us, a God who would, who would uh, guide us and lead us, he does not leave us incomplete. He takes us to hard things and through hard things in order to make us fully mature and complete in him. Let me say that again. Thanks be to God that he does not leave us incomplete. He takes us to and through hard things. And our big idea today is that God is so committed to your wholeness God is so committed to your maturation. God is so committed to your development, your spiritual integrity, that he walks us, he walks you toward hardship. And that's what we're going to see in the passage. Hard things, trials. We're going to look at uh, uh, James 1, which is maybe the passage on trials. And so we're just going to dive right in. Our first point, our first point is that as we walk with God, challenges become opportunities. As we walk with God, challenges become opportunities. Look at verse 2. I got it up there on the screen. It says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. What Paul is, uh, excuse me, James is calling us to do is to ascribe a new value to the hard things that we face. And, and this, the hard thing about this is it's not a suggestion. It's not, he's not just saying, oh, try your best, like just, just you know, count it joy, look at hard things and, and make it feel good. It's an imperative. It's in the imperative uh, 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 phrase saying, this is a command of God through James to do this thing. He's not commanding us to just stuff our feelings and pretend like everything's sweet. He's not saying, don't worry, be happy, just make everything feel good. He's saying, approach the hard things with expectancy for how God is going to use that hard thing to develop your character. He's going to use that difficult circumstance. And so what that causes us to do is to zoom out from what we're experiencing, the hard thing that we're experiencing in the present. And we can even say, praise the Lord for another opportunity to grow. I know this hard thing is in front of me, but praise God that he would give me, give me another chance to develop and mature in him. So I mentioned that, that I'm a, a dog lover, and, and that means that I dog sit a lot. I've had an opportunity to dog sit, I don't know, maybe 25 dogs, something like that. And uh, what happens when I watch a dog is I don't try to leave him the way he was when he came to me. I try to make him better. If there's incomplete areas, if there's issues that he's facing, I try to take it head on. So what this looks like is, for instance, I had this little uh, pug, ugly dog, super ugly dog. But if you, if you like that kind of thing, then that's fine. Uh, but so I had this pug that was with us, and we were going on a walk, and I had another dog with me. And we're walking, and all of a sudden, the pug just hits the brakes. He's, he's stopping, and he's resisting walking, and he starts making all this noise. And I'm like looking at the dog like, what is the problem? Meanwhile, my dog is also looking at the dog like, what, what's your deal? And it took me a second, but I peeped, I peeped the situation. We were walking by sewers. And for whatever reason, in his head, in that dog's mind, sewers, whether it was the texture or the smell, or maybe he stepped on it and it moved on him at one point, he got so afraid of sewers. And so what I would do as a dog trainer is I'm, you, could, you could very easily just say, okay, we're going to avoid sewers for the rest of your life. 
but what bondage? Like, what, what a poor circumstance to live your life afraid of sewers. So I'm, I'm looking for every sewer I can find and walking the little dog towards it with guidance, with, with um, uh, kind of the, the, uh, the carrot and the stick sort of thing, kind of we're rewarding, we're, we're walking to it with patient, uh, patience and, and, and guidance in order to work that sewer issue out of the dog. Or maybe I could illustrate it a little bit better. Uh, so I had a 200-pound English Mastiff named Mudge. And if you got to meet Mudge, that's, that's great for you. That was a great, great dog. But the way that I came to have Mudge is he was afraid of everything. He was skittish. He would run away. And his owner was about, a, I think she was in her 70s, and she was this smaller little lady. And because he was afraid of everything... If a loud noise came or a big truck went by or some, some kind of loud object moved, he would take off. And so if you're trying to be, uh, hold on to a 200-pound English Mastiff, I'm not playing. This brother's head was up to here on me. He was huge. And if she tried to hang on to him while he was taking off, then it would have been a very dangerous circumstance. And so she had posted on some online things, on some online forums, and I went and was able to, to receive him, and she kind of let me know the, the deal. And so the very first thing that I did as soon as we received Mudge was walk him towards the fear that he had. So every single morning, uh, while the buses were out, it was the beginning of the school year, the buses would be out driving around at the bus stops, big diesel engine, lots of movement, and I would guide him towards the thing that he was most afraid of. And before time, he developed in confidence, and, and after probably about three months, this brother was able to walk right by a garbage truck, right by uh, a diesel uh, engine, right by a bus, because I wanted to develop in my dog uh, a more of a complete animal, be able to handle things. And the same thing happens with you and me. Maybe you're afraid of something that's going on at work. Maybe there's an anxiety in your life that you don't want to face. Maybe there's a relationship or a situation that you just want nothing to deal with. And your, your instinct, your natural instinct, is to go the other way. You want to hit the brakes at that sewer and say, nah, I'm not going. I'm not going that direction. Maybe those things are too big and scary and you don't want to walk by that bus. But what is being called to for us is to walk towards the trials to count them as joy, to ascribe joy to this hard thing because God is going to use it for your development. And so, church, I ask, what challenge in your life is God using as an opportunity for your development? What's that hard thing that you don't want to deal with that he's causing you to walk towards even now? And this isn't the main uh, point of this point, but we got a couple real quick side quests that we can hit on. A couple bonus implications. Church, look at the verse. It says, count it all, all joy, my brothers, if you meet trials of various kinds. Nah, not if. What does it say? When. You know what that means? It's coming. If it hasn't already come, it is going to come. It's not if you meet trials. Here you are trying to avoid this and avoid that. No, no. The Lord Jesus cares so much about your development, it will come. And, and the call is for us to embrace that. And when it says, when you meet trials, the sense is of you kind of being caught up in something, something reaching out and embracing you, grabbing you. Think um, in the story of the Good Samaritan, 
the same word uh, for, the, for the person who fell among robbers. It's the same word here. When you meet hardship, think about Joseph being tossed in the pit. When you meet these circumstances in these hard places, not if, but when. Another quick bonus implication, a side quest to talk about, is it says, when you meet trials of various kinds, and this is important, this is important for us, because sometimes you look at other people's trials through the lens of your own trials. Each one of us has a different battle. Each one of us has a different thing going on in our lives. That word means multicolored. When you come up upon someone who is going through something, they have a different battle, they have a different journey, they have a different timing than you have. There's a temptation to make trials a competition. Because I'm going through this dif difficulty, it's greater than that difficulty. No one can understand what I'm going through. But because we all experience trials of various kinds, it means that we can support one another in love, being with one another without despair. Um, there's a book that I read. Uh, it's from Stephen Ministries, and I wish I, I had the title. Um, it had to do with empathy, and I, I, could, I could figure that out if, if you wanted to read it. But basically, it, it showed something that happens with people who are walking alongside others who are in a pit or dealing with a hard circumstance, or, or we might say going through a trial. One temptation for believers, for Christians, is to dive into the pit with the person and despair right alongside them. And if someone's in despair in the midst of a trial and you jump in there, you have no opportunity to help them. And I had another image of somebody who was outside of the pit looking at the person in the pit saying, uh, I'm sorry that, that you're going through that. And they would call this sympathy, where you're not necessarily uh, empathizing with the person, you're just looking at their circumstance and saying sorry. But the, uh, what, where the picture was pointing, where we want to be as believers, is a person who was holding on to a tree that was representative of the word of God being connected to the community of believers and holding the person who was in the pit. Kind of, I'm with you, I'm here for you, I'm empathizing for what you're going through. I'm not going to get stuck in there, but I'm not going to let you go either. And so as we see one another going through various trials, it's not to say I'm going to dive into despair. It's not to say that I'm going to sit on the outside and leave you by yourself, but I'm going to hold you fast while holding to uh, the Lord and his word in Christian community. So church, as we walk with God, challenges become opportunities. Challenges become opportunities. That's our first point. Our second point is as we walk with God, patience has a purpose. Everyone say patience, patience. has a purpose. Look at verse 3. It says, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. I've read this passage, I don't know, for years and years and years, ever since I was a little kid. James was one of my favorite books growing up, so I've read this over and over and over. And I always read steadfastness as this grit, as like just be spiritually tough, just get through hard things. If, if you just keep your head down and get through it, then you'll prove to God that you're faithful. And there is some, some truth to having spiritual toughness, but that word there for steadfastness 
can be translated maybe a little better, patiently awaiting, patiently awaiting. What trials do for us is they slow us down. Your life is fast, you have ideas about work, you have ideas about family, you have ideas about your education, you have ideas about how things should be, and we're constantly moving, 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 moving forward, moving ahead, just trying to get through it. And what trials do is they say, stop. Just stop. Stop for a moment. And look, look at me. God is calling to us to say, look, look at me. It means patient steadfastness, means patiently enduring, patiently awaiting, patiently persevering. The way through trials is not a so-called self-sufficiency. The way through trials isn't through doing things my way, just harder and faster, being as strong as I can, breaking through walls like I'm a wrecking ball. Mm -mm. Trials slow us down just enough that we can stop and say, God, what are you doing? Why is this happening in this way? More dog training for us today. Um, you can pull up the next video. This is your boy once again, Weston, and we're at the door. Actually, wait a second. Uh, you could pause it or, or go back. Thank you. So uh, just to set the scene for a second, years ago when we were in the other room, the big, the big room, I had shared a story and a way to illustrate to follow Jesus as the way, truth, and the life, uh, as the only way to the Father, not, not a path. And I talked about how with dogs, if you walk your dog, they get set on a path and they just want to go forward. And the way to deal with that, to help a dog, I was trying to train, train us up, is to walk your dog. And as soon as your dog gets in front of you, you give a correction and you walk the other way. As soon as you're walking this way, if your dog gets in front of you, you give a little correction and then you walk the other way. And after a while, your dog learns not to follow a path, but to follow a person, right? And uh, that was awesome. That was such a good illustration. But what happened was some of you all came up to me afterward, uh, weeks later, and said, hey, I tried it. It didn't work. Not talking about God, but talking about like they tried with the dogs and, and tried, to, tried to take that technique. And I started to think about it for a little bit. I'm like, man, how, how could I help folks um, uh, work on this walk? Because I know if I was there, we could probably sort it out. But I realized that this whole follow a, a, a path, or excuse me, follow a person, not a path, you've missed the opportunity if you get outside and the dog isn't patiently waiting, looking at you before you even leave, all right? So people had already been outside and tried to do this technique, but the dog's mind was already lost, not looking at the handler. So now we can go to the video. That sets that up a little bit. All right, so for those who are listening online or listening later, what you have here is you have Weston and I standing at my open door. And what I'm doing here is I'm not letting Weston go outside. His nose, his mind, his eyes are outside. He wants to go for this walk. He wants to make it happen. He wants to see all the smells and see all the sights and do all the things. All I'm waiting for is for Weston to look up at me. I'm just waiting, just waiting patiently. Stop, I'm waiting. Once you look at me, then we can move forward. Why would I do that? What I want to communicate to Weston, you'll see, eventually he'll look up and he'll figure it out and we'll do it a couple more times. There it is. And now we go. And so I'm waiting for him to look up at me because I want him to recognize, you could, you could well, that's all right, never mind. Um, what I want him to recognize is that outside comes through me. 
I don't want you to get so distracted by the birds, by the squirrels, by the smells, by the sounds and the sights. I don't want you to get distracted by that. What, when we go out, it's through me. I'm the leader. I'm going to take the step forward. And until you can get to that point of recognizing that outside this path comes through the leader, then you're not ready to move forward. Now, why do I bring this up? So many of us would be so hung up on our work, the things that we have to get done. So many of us would be caught up in school, all our responsibilities, the mountain of homework that's before us, all of our accomplishments that we want to accomplish. So many of us would be get caught up on our family and all that's going on with our family and our relationships and our friends and all those dynamics. And we're moving forward and we never stopped to look up at God. We never stop before we move forward on all these things. And what trials do is they, it's God stopping us and saying, stop moving forward and look up at me. Listen, who, who in here takes a Sabbath, a regular Sabbath, where you don't do anything else, you clear your calendar, that's the only thing that you do on that day, is spend time with Almighty God. The word Sabbath literally means cease. Just stop. Stop what you're doing. Turn off your notifications. Turn your phone off. Turn your email off. Stop what you're doing and spend time with God Almighty. And maybe in some of our hearts and minds, we're, we're thinking, bro, you don't know how much work I have to do. You don't know how behind I am. Can I just tell you that God can do more in your work life with your obedience than he can with your disobedience? Can I just tell you for a second that that God could have a better job for you. He could have less hours for you. He could have a better opportunity for you, but he requires obedience. Maybe you're saying, I have all this schoolwork. Can I just tell you that 30 minutes of focused attention with the Lord's anointing will do more than 30 hours of studying without him? Can I just tell you, some of us say, oh, I have family responsibilities. I have this, I have that, or my family and friends. Can I just tell you, that the Lord will do more for your family as you walk in obedience to him than he will with you running around getting kids to this place and that place and trying to do this, that, and the other. Stop. Stop. Stop and look at the Lord. Stop moving forward. Stop doing the most. You're all over the place going this way and that way. And trials cause us to look up and say, Lord, what are you doing in this season of my life? All right, a couple side applications or side implications real quick. It says, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. How do trials produce faith? How do, how do trials build our faith? You can't be angry at somebody you don't believe in. I'm going to say that again. You can't be angry at someone you don't believe in. So something that happens when we go through trials is bad things happen, hardship happens, all this bad stuff, and you go, God, what are you doing? This is not, this is not how I wanted it. This is not how it's supposed to be. And in that moment, you have more faith than when you were ignoring him all those other days. In that moment, when you finally stop and say, what are you doing? You're depending on this relationship that you have with God. And so when he pumps the brakes on you and you finally get around to looking up and saying, God, what are you doing? You're actually demonstrating the faith that we proclaim to have. The second side implication, just a quick side quest, 
is when it says, for you know that the testing of your faith, that word you know, you have to forgive uh, the English real quick, that word is a present active participle, and it's in the plural. And you're like, okay, what, in the, what does that mean? I have no idea what a present active participle, the way that I think of participles is just to throw ing on the word, and it's plural, so it's talking about you all, y'all. So when the, you get to that word, you know, what it's saying is together, y'all come to an ongoing knowledge. Together, you come to an ongoing knowledge that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And the, the point is, just again, a quick side note, is that this is to be done in community. You've been hiding that trial that you're going through, and what God is calling you to do is to share that with somebody so they can help you out of the pit, so they can learn from what you're experiencing, that these trials are a knowledge-gaining exercise that is done in community. All right, third point. You all still with me? Couple people. All right, shout out to those couple people. I know, it's too much dog stuff. All right, our third point, last point. As we walk with God, we rest in his completion. As we walk with God, rest in his completion. Look at verse 4. Verse 4 says, And let the steadfastness, that's that pause for a purpose, the steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And when I read those words, I, sh I shrink back. The concept, the idea of being perfect and complete and lacking in nothing gets right in my face because I know I am not that. Amen? Amen. So the question is, where do we find completion? Where do we find perfection? Where do we find one who would lack in nothing? In John 19, as Jesus is hanging on the cross, suffocating, because you know that that's how... Uh, that's how crucifixion works, is the weight of your body begins to um, overcome your ability to stay up, and you begin to suffocate under your own weight. And so Jesus, before giving up his spirit, declares these words, it is finished. It is perfect. It is complete. It's the same word, teleos. It's from the same root word, teleos, that we have here in our passage Jesus, perfect, complete, lacking nothing, finishing all that the Father would require in obedience. Everything that the law would require, everything that, that God would call us to do, he completes perfectly, fully. And not only that, he suffers and dies a death that he didn't deserve. Why would he do that? so that sinners, broken sinners, can live the life that he earned because he died the death that we have earned. And so what that means for us is each trial we face is a chance for us to grow into unity and dependence in his trustworthiness when he would say, take up your cross and follow me. Let him prove himself to be faithful in a bond of loyalty. So I asked earlier or, or mentioned earlier, how does a dog become more complete? How does a dog uh, become a, a, a more uh, gifted or, or complete dog? And we talked about overcoming obstacles, right? I said the bus or the sewer or other barking dogs or whatever the thing is. And that's true, 
But more importantly, he becomes complete by trusting the master. See, as you go through those hard things together, as the dog and I go through those hard things together, he begins to trust me more and more. I prove myself faithful to protect him and to get through him through hard stuff. I prove myself to show him that you're not in danger. I'm going to walk you past these things. And the bond is unified and tightened and deepened. The most competent, confident, free dogs are the ones who have full faith in their owners. And so when the author of Hebrews writes, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, let me just paraphrase, stopping and looking to Jesus, the founder and finisher, protector, teleos of our faith, who for the joy set before him, right? We said, consider it joy, count it all joy. Jesus would count it joy that he would have you, that he would redeem you. It was set before him that he would endure the cross despising the shame, and he is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Um, I, I, I saw a story of a dog that was um, stuck within a fire. All the family members had gotten out of the fire except one family member, the dog, was stuck sitting at the window, and the billows of smoke were just going higher and higher, dark smoke coming out of this house that was just lit aflame. And what the family members began to do, they knew they couldn't go inside. They knew they couldn't enter into the home at their, the cost of their own life. And so they stood at the window and would say, come on, come on, come on, please follow me. Trust me, trust me, trust me. And they're, they're hyping the dog up, please, 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 come, come, don't die. And finally, the dog jumps out into the arms of his owner, and its back is burned and singed. And we serve a God who wouldn't just stay outside and say, please come. He would go into the fire, take the punishment of the cross. He would be singed, not, not just uh, singed a little bit for our sake, but he would offer his life and die completely for our sake to rescue you and me from the fire. Jesus is saying to, to us, I've gone the path of trials to completion in order to redeem humanity, in order to pay for you. Trust me on this walk. And I'll, I'll close with this. Um, I'm, not, uh, I'm not familiar with metal working and how that all shakes out, but from my understanding, um, when it comes to fine metal, metals, whether that's silver or gold or platinum, the way that a metal worker will uh, make sure that the metal is pure is he sets the temperature to a certain temperature, and then all the imperfections rise to the top, and he clears the dross, and then he turns up the temperature a little higher, and at a different temperature, different issues, different dross comes to the surface, and he clears that, and he turns the temperature again higher to a, to a different level where the metal, metal will come to the top. And the question is, when does he know that the gold is pure? When does he know that the, the gold is finished, the precious metal is finished. It's when he can see his reflection in that metal. And the same is true for us, church, that God turns up the temperature on us in order to see his reflection in us. Let's pray together. Thanks for listening, and God bless.